Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. We've been working through a series called Sign God, and we have been working through the miracles of Jesus throughout the book of John. And there are seven miracles that John records in his gospel that's not an exhaustive list of the miracles that Jesus actually performed during his earthly ministry. If you were to count up all of his miracles, all through the individual miracles and signs and wonders throughout the gospels, you would come to around 37 of them. But John highlights only seven of those 37 miracles in his gospel. And if you look at them, as we have been tracing them through over the last few weeks, you see that there is a progression. There's a progression that takes place because it starts at the wedding at Cana. And at the wedding at Cana, Jesus turns water into wine. He shows that he is over physical matter and that he is restoring the joy that may have been lost. He's also making a statement about the Old Testament ritualistic purification. And he is, he is pointing that out and, and replacing that, so to speak. And so you find that that's how he starts. He's over matter. And then we find that he heals a a, uh, royal official's son from a distance, showing that he is over sickness, but he's also over time and distance able to accomplish things. We find that he goes to the pool of Bethesda and he heals a man who has been an invalid for nearly 40 years and telling that man to walk and healing that man. We find that he creates bread, he multiplies fish and loaves and feeds a multitude, feeds thousands of people, showing that he is that bread that comes from heaven that the Old Testament talks about. He is basically this better version of the Old Testament manna that God had given through Moses. Now, Jesus being the one that God is using to sustain his people. You find that but in the in the in between, Jesus walks on the water, and we just sang about that. He walks on the water to show his disciples that he is again over physical creation and over nature itself. And I say in the in between because as we were studying through that, we looked at that that walking on the water episode. That walking on the water uh, miracle occurs in the context of Jesus saying that I'm the bread of life, and we find that running throughout that passage. And then last week we looked at how he healed a man who had been, or was blind, but not just blind, he was blind from birth, meaning that Jesus did something and healed someone who had not gotten sick or become infirmed, but had always had this affliction. What could Jesus do next that could top all of that? Well, it's found in John chapter 11. Because Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus raises someone from the dead. And so if you look in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, John writes, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill, 
So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you. We come before your word. Pray that you would open our understanding, open our hearts, open our minds to your truth. Pray that you would speak to us this morning in a very clear way for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We find that Lazarus of Bethany is sick. Bethany is a little town, or was a little village. If you were to cross the valley outside of Jerusalem and walk that ridge for a little ways, you would come to the village of Bethany. It wasn't that far away from Jerusalem. But Jesus and his disciples were a greater distance away from Bethany because they were not in Jerusalem. They were down in the Transjordan region. So they were down toward the Jordan River and word gets sent to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. The one whom you love is sick. But then notice what Jesus does. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Now, if you were one of the disciples standing around when Jesus made that statement, you might think, oh, well, that's great. Lazarus will get well. Because Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. That's a, that's a good thing. Jesus had said phrases similar to this earlier. Phrases we've looked at in John chapter 2, verse 11. This, the first of his signs, that's changing water to wine. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The same thing with John chapter 9. Verse 3, we looked at this last week. Jesus answered, it was not that this man, the man who was born blind, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's about the glory of God. And Jesus says that Lazarus is sick, yes, but it's not unto death because it's for the glory of God. It's so that God may be glorified and so the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then you get to verse 5. In verse 5 and 6, they're disturbing. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He loves them. So when he hears that Lazarus is sick, he stays two days longer. Now, he's just told the disciples, this is not unto death. This illness is not unto death. It's so... God may be glorified, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now he hears that he's sick. The Bible says clearly that Jesus loves him. He loves Lazarus. He loves Martha, the sister, the sister Martha. He loves Lazarus' sister Mary. He loves the whole family. So when he hears that he's sick, he stays. What Jesus is doing here is something that can disturb us at times. But the truth is this, out of his love... Jesus will sometimes refuse a lesser request to give a greater revelation of himself. Now that's hard for us to get our head around. Out of his love for us, out of his great love, he will refuse a lesser request. What's that lesser request? Jesus come and heal Lazarus. That seems like a great request because they knew him as the healer. They had heard about his healing. 
They may have seen him heal before. And so they think Jesus, Jesus is the one that Lazarus needs right now. Because Lazarus is, he's sick. And a sick person needs a healer. So let's call for the healer to come and heal our brother who is sick. And Jesus says, no, that's a lesser request. So no, I'm not going to do that. When he hears that he's sick, he stays two more days. That word so that's in verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill. That word so in the original language can be translated because of this or, or consequently. When you read it like that, it may really disturb you. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus because of that when he heard Lazarus was sick he stayed two more days in the place where he was the reason that he stayed was because he loved him that doesn't seem right but it does when you look at it in the bigger context they knew him as the healer they didn't know him as the resurrection And Jesus is giving them a greater revelation of himself by refusing their lesser request. Look down at verse 7. Then after this, after what? After the two days. After this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? Jesus had made some very clear statements about who he is. Jesus had made some very clear statements about his divinity. Jesus had made some very clear statements about how he and the Father are equal. He had made these statements and now, now the Jews decided we need to do something about this. They they picked up stones to try to stone him. They had this spontaneous move of we're just going to, we're going to kill him. Because he's claiming to be equal with God. And so now the disciples say, we can't go back. He tried, they're trying to kill you, Jesus. Don't go back. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the night, the light is not in him. Do I need a a different mic, Tommy? things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him the disciples said to him Lord if he has fallen asleep he will recover now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep then Jesus told them plainly Lazarus has died but then notice his next phrase Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, verse 15, and for your sake I am glad I was not there. Now, first of all, Jesus, we find because Jesus loved them, he waited two more days. And now he tells the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there to heal Lazarus. Why? 
because he's refusing a lesser request to give a greater revelation of who he is even to them so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's pretty encouraging, right? Thomas was always that realist, sort of pessimistic. Okay, guys, we're all going to go. We're all going to die. Let's just go with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. It's, It's helpful to know that among the Jews there was a tradition, not a biblical truth, but a tradition that they had passed along. And the idea was that the spirit, the soul of the departed person would linger around the tomb for three days and then at the very end of those three days would leave forever. So after four days, Lazarus was not just dead, he was dead, dead. Not only was his body in the tomb and decomposition had begun, but that part of him, that immaterial part of him, had already completely left as well. Now, that was just Jewish tradition. So in the Jewish mind, there was no coming back from this. But Jesus knows exactly what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus knows that They have given him a lesser request, and Jesus knows that he is going to give them a greater revelation of himself. Why do we bring this up? Because I think if we were all to think back, we could all think of some lesser request that Jesus has refused in order to give us a greater revelation of himself. We've all walked down that road before. We've had things that we've said, God, please, Answer in this way. God, move in this way. God, show up in this way right now. And it seems like he just waits two more days. Jesus is not too late. Jesus is is not behind schedule. Jesus knows exactly what Jesus is doing. But it's a greater revelation of himself. You know, this isn't. I don't always do this extraordinarily well. But one thing after reading this many years ago, after reading through this passage and and coming upon these truths, one thing that I started doing, and it's hard to bear in mind, but one thing that I began doing was this. Whenever I would pray and I would get a no or I would get an answer I did not anticipate, I would, sometimes I would get really frustrated or really disappointed or really saddened by it. Then I tried to frame it in these terms and just say, God, you didn't answer this prayer in the way I anticipated or in the way I expected. So God, give me understanding so that I can see what this greater revelation of you is is. Don't let me, I don't want to miss what it is that you're trying to say. Because you're, you're saying something and you're answering in a way that I did not anticipate. So God, I don't want to miss what you're saying. I don't want to get so caught up in my expectation that I say, well, God wasn't listening. God missed the boat. 
God's behind schedule. No, God's not any of those things. I need to have my priorities, my expectation, my understanding righted. And that's exactly what Jesus is about to do with this family. Not only the family, but the people around him and his disciples. He is about to give them a greater revelation of himself, and he does so by refusing this lesser request. And by the way, we're only going to know Jesus as the resurrection if we see something die. You can only have a resurrection when something's dead. And I've seen in my years of ministry, I have seen situations that people have said, that's dead. There's no fixing that. That marriage is past hope. That circumstance is, is beyond anybody's reach. This, this all life has gone out of this particular hope. It's over. It's done. And God breathed life into it. And God breathed life into that situation. And God called that marriage. God called that relationship. God called that circumstance out of the grave. I've seen it. Because God is giving a greater revelation of himself. Would you ask God for that in your prayer time? When God doesn't answer in the way that you expect him to answer, would you just would you be willing to say, God, I'm willing to be excited because I'm realizing that maybe you're going to answer in a way that's going to show me a greater revelation of who you are? And I was I was asking for a lesser request. Some of you have heard me pray it. Sometimes I pray at the end of prayers, Lord God, if I'm asking for something, if we're asking for something that is less than your best, that is less than what will bring you the most glory possible, then do that instead. God will refuse a lesser request to give a greater revelation of himself, and he does it out of his love. Notice verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Notice that grief mixed with that hope and that confidence in Christ. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She said, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Notice, resurrection is not only something Jesus does, but it's who he is. He says, I am the resurrection. It's not just that he resurrects people. He is the resurrection. It is all found in him. He is showing that he is the God who is in the process of reversing the very curse of sin. Sickness, suffering, death, all of the result of sin entering into the world. And Jesus is showing them glimpses of, I'm reversing that. I'm reversing the curse all through these miracles, but especially in this one with Lazarus. John chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus 
says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus is the one who gives resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection. Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words as her sister. You think they've talked about it? Whatever Lazarus had, do you think they were gathered around his deathbed? Maybe maybe wiping and patting sweat from his brow, saying, if Jesus would only get here, if Jesus could only get here in time, where is he? Will somebody go look? Somebody look down the road and see if Jesus is coming. Did you, send, did you talk to him? Did the messengers tell him? Did, why isn't he here? So she says the exact same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. It's interesting because those words, deeply moved. Jesus is weeping. He's upset, yes, but it's also, it says he's deeply moved. If you go back to what the word means, it means that he's angry. He's mad about it. And you say, well, no, deeply moved. It just means that he's very emotional. He's just, he's very, very sad. No, when you go back and look, he's indignant. Why? Well, we don't know. But we have some ideas. Number one, he's seeing these people who are all grieving as though there's no hope at all. And he's just explained, I'm the resurrection. There's also the element of Jesus looking at this tomb and recognizing the reason that he came to earth, knowing this. I mean, this wasn't a surprise to him. It was planned before time immemorial. But knowing that he's getting close to his own grave, his own cross that he's going to die on in our place, and recognizing this and being indignant over what death is doing and how it is so destructive and points back to that original curse that he's going to reverse completely one day. But Jesus, there at the tomb where Jesus tells them, where have you laid him? They said, come and see. He goes to the tomb. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays and he says, Father, you always hear me. I know that you always hear me. 
And the whole reason I'm praying this is not for the benefit of me, but for the benefit of these standing around so that they will understand who I'm talking to and who I am. This is for their benefit. And that's the reason I am praying to you, Father. Jesus is doing it to, again, give them a greater revelation of himself, but he's also helping them to understand this is not just something that I am doing on my own. I am doing this because I am the resurrection and I am connected to my heavenly Father. Because sometimes Jesus has to remind us exactly who we're dealing with. That's what he's doing with them around him. I'm praying for their benefit, God. Father, I'm praying so they'll know. They will know who they're dealing with. They'll know who I am, and they'll get a clearer view of who you are in light of that. Look at verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is a little glimpse. Resurrection of of Lazarus is just a little glimpse of that future restoration of all things. And Jesus is reversing the curse of sin. He's reversing this curse that led to sickness, that leads to suffering, that leads to death. He's reversing the curse in this, and we're getting a glimpse of that. And he reverses the curse by becoming a curse himself. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He is reversing the entire trajectory of the universe. That's the whole point. God, through Christ, is reversing the entire path, the entire direction of the, all of creation, and he is reversing it back to himself. He is restoring everything, and we often say, oh, God is restoring everything to perfection. He's going to restore everything to be perfect again. Well, yes, he is, but the point is not just in the perfection, The point is restoring everything to perfection and bringing it back to himself. He's lining the entire universe back up under the main point again, which is Jesus. And the resurrection of Lazarus is a glimpse of that future restoration of all things. Hey, our repentance, our repentance from sin, our reversal of the course of our life away from a path of sin and toward a life of righteousness, that too is a little glimpse of that future restoration of all things. We are being called away from sin and we are being called back to our God. And he's making all things new because all of creation will be lined up under him one day. And he's reversing the curse, showing that he is not just the one who brings resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is the one who, as the Bible says, makes all things new. That's what we find. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. That very idea is, is, is reiterated in the New Testament, Revelation 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is the resurrection. Not just something he does. It's who he is. And who he is 
is lining everything up toward himself. He's bringing all things back to himself. And Lazarus is a glimpse of this. He's reversing the curse and calling a dead man out of the tomb. And that's what he still does. When he calls us to salvation, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are called out of that grave. We are called into his marvelous light. We are, we are, we are dead men walking. And he calls us to life. And Lazarus is a true physical representation of what he does with every single person that he calls to himself. Every single person who repents and follows. That's it. He is the resurrection. But the story of Lazarus doesn't end with Lazarus leaving the tomb. Because look what happens right after that. Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas says, I got a plan, guys. It's expedient for the well-being of the nation that one person dies instead of the whole nation perishing. Notice what John records in verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Caiaphas opens his mouth thinking that he's got a logical way of saying this. He's got it figured out. Guys, you don't know anything. It would be beneficial if one person died for the whole nation, now wouldn't it? I mean, it's better that one person die for the whole nation than for everybody to perish. And John says, he thought those were his words. He didn't say them on his own accord. God had him say those words. And in saying those words, thinking one thing, God had him prophesy about Jesus dying for the nation. That one man was going to lay down his life for the nation. You see, Caiaphas meant it in a way of, this is going to solve all our earthly problems. We're going to be able to maintain our place. We're going to be able to maintain our sinful control over everything that we have control over. And God says, go ahead, say it, Caiaphas. Matter of fact, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. But it doesn't. it's not going to mean what you think it's going to mean. Notice verse 52. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They made plans to put Jesus to death. Now, I know we say, but wait a minute. Even even the disciples told Jesus, but they, they were trying to kill you back in Judea. Yes, they tried to stone him. It was one of those spontaneous acts of aggression. Jesus claims to be equal with God. Well, we need to kill him. He's uttering blasphemy. We need, to, we need to attack him. But here, it's not just a spontaneous act of aggression upon a sin that was committed in their presence at that moment. No. Now it's become premeditated. 
Now it's become a plan, a plot. And now they're looking for an opportunity to put Jesus to death. Why? Because of what he did with Lazarus. When he brings Lazarus from the dead, the dominoes begin to fall in rapid succession. But look at chapter 12. Down in chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This guy just can't get a break. He got sick. He died. He was resurrected. And now they're saying, we need to put him back in a grave. Someone would always try to put the work of Jesus back into the grave. That's the reality. Jesus does a work. Someone wants to kill it. Jesus operates and and he shows his glory. Someone will want to explain it away, to hide it away, or to silence it. You've seen it probably in your own life at times. Jesus does a work in your life. Somebody wants to explain to you why that wasn't really Jesus. You see God perform and answer a prayer, and you you see someone trying to explain how that wasn't really God. Listen, someone will always be there to try to put the work of Jesus back into the grave. If they are plotting to kill Lazarus, I can assure you they will go out of their way to try to discredit your belief in Christ. We find this all throughout these passages that we've been looking at. The belief, it all comes back to belief. Many of the Jews believed in him. Even Caiaphas and the chief priests were saying, if we go and lay him going like this, everyone will believe in him. Listen to some of these other passages we looked at. Chapter 11, verse 15. We just looked at this. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus In verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Chapter 11, verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? Chapter 11, verse 42, I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. All through this text, all through this account, it's belief, 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 belief. And all through all the believing, there is somebody saying, no, 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 trying to put it back into the grave. We've looked at this. This is the reason John wrote his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And can I tell you, when you believe, there's going to be someone who wants to put that belief back into the grave. Don't let them. Don't let them stand on the truth. Don't let them put the belief back in the grave. Don't let them put the work of Christ back in the grave. 
Don't be silenced for the work of Christ in your life. We are to be lights in the world. You realize that one of the most threatening things that you can do is have the right view of God. That is very threatening because someone will always be there to say, no, 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 that's not the right view of God. No, 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 that's not the right view of Christ. No, 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 you shouldn't believe that. Or even worse, you don't actually believe that, do you? That's ridiculous. You don't actually believe that, you don't actually believe that God, a creator God, sent his son, who is also God, who was born as a baby. And that little baby grew up to be a man, but that, that, that man never did anything wrong. He never sinned at all. And then that man willingly died on a cross, an instrument of Roman torture and execution. And by dying on the cross, he took the full brunt of the wrath of God for the sin of humanity. And if we just believe in this, in this crucified Jewish man that nobody really knew a whole lot about back then, maybe the people in that little area, he wasn't some world-famous ruler. You mean to tell me this little guy, this guy who was born in some little dusty backwater and who grew up for years just as a workman, this guy is the one that you're saying that you're hinging the future upon, your eternity upon, your salvation upon? And only that, you say that he's going to come back one day physically Bodily, he's going to return and set up a kingdom that's going to last forever? Yeah. That's exactly what we're saying. Well, that seems unbelievable. But that's what God says. Do you, do you believe? Because there's always going to be somebody that wants to put that work back in the grave. There's always going to be prayers that we pray that Jesus says, I got something better in mind. It may not seem better right now, but it's better because it's a greater revelation of who I am. And if you understand the greater revelation of who I am, you'll understand I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord God, We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the work of Christ, the person of Christ. That's not just he performs resurrection. He is the resurrection. It's part and parcel of who he is. Not only that, Lord God, we're, we're thankful. We're thankful for those times that you... You answer prayers miraculously, that you show up in power, that you show up and you blow our minds with everything that we've been asking for. But Father God, we give you thanks for all those closed doors, all those opportunities to know you, to know you through Christ, all those opportunities to get a clearer view of who Jesus is. When you refuse those lesser requests and we get a 
greater glimpse of glory and know you in a way that we wouldn't know you any other way. Father, I pray. I pray for anybody here that may have one of those works of Jesus that someone's trying to put back into the grave. Father, I pray that you would strengthen their faith. I pray that you would give them boldness. All throughout the early church, we find that's the prayer. Not not keep us all from harm, but to make us bold in the face of opposition. Father, may we be biblically bold, resting fully upon the hope that is found in Christ alone. Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody watching, listening, that maybe they've never made a decision to follow you. They've never, they've never placed their full faith in the person and in the work of Christ, in the work of Christ on the cross, in his person as the one who took our sin as our Savior. Father, I pray today would be the day they would say yes and that they would be a glimpse of that reversal of the curse of turning away from sin and turning toward Christ and trusting him by faith and believing and believing and believing that he is the Son of God. Father, we give ourselves to you. We give this time to you, Father, and we pray that you may be glorified not only now as we continue to worship you, but that you would be glorified in our lives as we live out these truths. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.